Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and I'm in, once again, For Fox Sake HQ2 and in For Fox Sake HQ... No, hang on, scrap that. I'm in number one and in number two is uh, is Rob Hayes. That's a good start, isn't it? I was going to say I was looking around my house thinking, where's Pete? It's almost as if he's in the same room. Being down the phone line is not quite the same as being in the same room. And I do I do miss being in the same room as you. But um, I've moved back up to the original recording room because we've had the roofers out and there's no longer any leaks. And it has actually not rained at all today in Sheffield, would you believe? Yeah, I don't believe you from what I've seen on the news, my word. But it's good that you're in the appropriate room for recording. And we will get back together in the same room to record, hopefully at least say the Christmas special, whatever that will be. We haven't got anything planned yet. So any ideas, send them through. The one thing that we do have an idea, which I just said to you off air before we started to record, is um, we will be doing a, a team of the decade. So a Leicester City 11 of the decade. It won't be on the uh, standard episodes. We'll release it as a two-part special, hopefully before the end of the year. That's the plan. In two parts, one to cover the defence and midfield and or the defence, and then maybe one for the midfield and forward line. And we'll take a look throughout all the players that have played in those positions over the last 10 years, or at least the three best in each position, and whittle them down through conversation and argument and get a, for fuck's sake, team of the decade, which will be... Uh, it, it sounds actually quite easy, but as I was driving back today, there's a number of positions, and I was just thinking, for example, the right-back position, Simpson, and you've got now Pereira. It's... Delap before that, it's it is actually quite difficult. It it might be quite easy for one or two positions, but I think there's going to be uh, very some very interesting suggestions and reasonings why player X is over player Y. But that's all to come on two specials that will be released alongside our traditional episodes, whatever episode this is, in one twenty eight or one twenty nine, something like that. But anyway, we are on the horizon of some Premier League football. We've been off for. A couple of weeks, uh, we didn't do an episode last week. When it gets to after the Arsenal game, everyone gets into international mode and just let it breathe for a week. And, and now we can look back at Arsenal, but also mainly look forward and preview the game against Brighton. But also in relation to that victory against Arsenal, we don't want to go into an incredible amount of detail because it was a while ago now. We also got the fact that England have played and what happened with Madison and Chilwell. Uh, we've also got uh, a number of bits and bobs that have appeared uh, throughout the last 10 days. Or When there is international football, you tend to get maybe some football writers or, or journalists out there who maybe have time to talk to some players or maybe release stories to do with the Premier League or to do with certain clubs that maybe would get overlooked during a normal traditional part of the season but when it's an international break they can do and uh, there's one or two bits and bobs there so we'll plough through and we'll just touch on before we go on Rob that game against Arsenal 
a fantastic game to watch, a great win, three points is what matters because we're now nine points clear of both Sheffield United and Arsenal. And I'm still, and we were saying this in the last episode, and I'll still say this, even if we get even closer to Liverpool, we're still, as far as I'm concerned, aiming for that top four. Anything else is a bonus and whatever happens in the the forthcoming weeks and months, we'll wait and see. But for me, it's that gap between fourth and fifth is what's all that important. And, And nine points is huge. And we were fully deserving of the three points. A great goal by Jamie Vardy. Madison caught it really well. Good technique shown for his goal to to get himself right and and to strike the ball the way he did. But uh, just overall, a a scintillating game. Arsenal are always going to be good going forward in the first half. They had one or two chances. And it was real end-to-end football. And I wasn't at the King Power. Unfortunately, I was... uh, uh, otherwise engaged with work, and but I watched it with a number of Arsenal fans uh, at work, and they were saying that's pretty much what they've been all about. They they can go forward and score goals, but they were very damning of their side, but full of praise for Leicester, and surprised that we didn't score earlier. And but I was confident. I was always confident going into that second half that we'll break the deadlock. And and what a great goal through Jamie Vardy, but it was the build up as well. Uh, Ricardo into Barnes, who's now becoming the flick king. It didn't really work for Barnes throughout the game. His performance, it, it, it just didn't work quite work out. We mentioned Perez before, the fact that he uh, didn't really do a lot against Crystal Palace, gave the ball away a few times, but he made the one run that brought the corner, which led to the first goal. Uh, Barnes, I'd probably label the same, didn't really work out, but a great flick in the penalty area. It shows that even though... In my opinion, he wasn't having the greatest game. He he still got involved where it matters. And then Tillemans picking out Vardy, and it's 1-0. And at the time, and as soon as that happened, you, you kind of went, well, that's, that's game over. I'm glad it was a good game because we talked about it quite a lot, not just on the previous episode, but but we, we looked forward to this fixture in particular um, from a good few weeks ago because we were talking about its its importance in the context of the season. Um, and you're absolutely right, the gap that we are managing to open up it could be and, and will be really important come the end of the season. It's, it's important now to get those gaps um, and try and maintain them rather than be trying to stretch them out later on in the season when, when pressure inevitably ramps up. And talking of pressure, I think Leicester City played with a control yet freedom that didn't look like a team that were newly favourites for this fixture. You've got to say historically, over whatever era of football you're talking about, it's extremely rare that Leicester City would have been favourites to win a game of football against Arsenal, regardless of what ground it's played on, regardless of the context of of an individual season yet that's the position that we found ourselves in in that game and at no point did it look like that was bearing too heavily on the players' shoulders. They're, they're almost sort of that performance and that result have have made people stand up and take notice and, and actually see, right, OK, this isn't just a group of relatively good footballers playing out of their skin. This is a squad of players run by a manager who firmly believe 
in the ability the ability that they have and the potential they have to improve even further and and acknowledge what that could bring with it in terms of success and in terms of league positions but don't let that override what's happening on the football pitch and i think the arsenal game encapsulated all of that and really if it if it wasn't apparent before highlights the fact that that this is a team that are very much in strong contention for a top four position. I think people that are talking about Leicester being in a title race, and you know, I've I've seen some fan pages on social media referencing that, um, notably 100% FCFC. Um, I'm not entirely sure that that is a conversation that we're involved in right now, but who knows if in another eight to ten games we sustain this period this this kind of form and this in this league position then I'm certainly not against having that kind of conversation but I think right now we have moved from I hope we're knocking on the door of the top four to people are going to have to break down the door of the top four and chuck us out because we have cemented ourselves in there in many different ways not just through the points that we've accrued alone but through the way that we're playing the way the players are handling themselves and yeah, the goal, the Vardy goal in terms of a team goal was fantastic. The link-up play, Tielemans and Barnes just cutting through the Arsenal defence and the technique for Madison's goal. All round, fully deserved win. Uh, great performance to watch. And as I say, handled the, the talk off the pitch by by doing their talking on the pitch, really. Yeah, completely agree. I was very impressed with with the defence and especially the, the two full-backs slash wing-backs, thought Ricardo had a tremendous game. thought he was ex- exceptional. Very, very influential when getting forward. And the immediate release of the ball uh, from the defence forward towards more creative players, as you mentioned with the likes of Tillemans and also Madison, then coming forward, one at least coming forward to then get the ball off the defence quickly and move the ball forward quickly with a purpose, chill well, continuing his excellent form of late for Leicester and England, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but for me, Ricardo, it was I'm not saying that he's been poor in any way, shape or form, but I think other players have just been highlighted more over the last few weeks in their fantastic performances. And he's not been needed almost to be the Ricardo that we all know, but I thought against Arsenal, he was absolutely exceptional. And it was just an all-round very, very solid, encouraging performance the intensity shown, which is a word that we haven't really used because of its, <laughs> it's used by Clubwell all the time, but they were very intense, Leicester, and comfortable with that. It wasn't a hurrying and, and, and kind of look uncomfortable in any way, shape or form by playing at that pace or playing in, in that kind of atmosphere or against a side where, as you said, they're expected to win because of their position in the league, but also they were given the favourites tags and that's not happened against Arsenal for a long time. The pressure was on, but they didn't look phased at all. And it was that control, which I think has to come from the manager because that's what he's been talking about for so long. So that message really is getting across to the players and it was great to see because it gives them the platform to then perform to their best. And they really did. And it's a, it was a great victory and we can look forward now to the game this coming weekend, we're playing away at Brighton, who are 11th in the league, Graham Potter's side, all, all sorts of 
of, of different permutations with, with with Brighton really because they're they still have the ability to go route one. They still have that kind of directness. Route one may be a bit excessive when they played under Chris Hewton, but they've changed their style now and they've had some good results. They've picked up a few injuries and uh, I'll just mention um, one or two injury concerns for Brighton because they are important. Uh, Adam Webster, their new £20 million centre-half, could be out with an ankle injury, but also Lewis Dunk is suspended, their captain who Leicester were heavily linked to in the summer. So they do have problems at centre-back. Uh, and we might have one as well, because uh, we were, uh, Johnny Evans was ill. Apparently before their game, Northern Ireland's game against Holland, which uh, which they got a, a point at home, great display by them, but also by Evans. But he missed the game in Germany because of this illness. So there's a bit of a question mark there. And the question mark is who comes in? Um you would imagine it's going to be Wes Morgan. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of throws up the question, really, where is Filip Benkovic? Because I know he's been playing a little bit for the under-23s and he had a bit of an injury and missed a bit of pre-season, whatever. But Wes Morgan will come in. That That's natural. But we've had this conversation before and we won't, we won't linger on Wes Morgan, I don't think, too much. But do you think that that, makes us a little bit vulnerable because of how solid and steady Johnny Evans and Chaglar Soyuncu have been and because of the 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 way that Johnny Evans almost has been guiding Soyuncu and Soyuncu's been very vocal about working with Evans uh, does it worry you a little bit or, or I mean or do you think we're fine against Brighton and hopefully Evans will be back for the next run of fixtures. I think it'll be fine, mainly because it's an illness. It's not an injury. You know, he could be out for, say, a month and he's going to miss six or seven games. That's the only kind of upside to it. In terms of a light-for-light light replacement, I think it, it is quite um, OK in terms of, of our position because if Evan goes out of the side, then... In comes Morgan, and Morgan will still play that same role alongside Sunju because Sunju will still be the one pressing forward, getting the ball off defenders, trying to intercept, uh, and and being that first header of the ball, and and Morgan can kind of almost semi drop back and and be the the person who mops up and not be that not be basically Kaglar Sunju, which which we know that no one can be. If it was the other way around, let's just say if Sunju was out and it was Evans, and then. Where's Morgan? That would be more interesting for me. I think at the moment it's completely fine. But it does throw up that conundrum when rumours and, and kind of sound bites were, were, were circulated regarding what kind of player that we might be signing in the, the transfer window in January. And the centre-half was, was mentioned. Everyone kind of thought, well, where is Benkovic? What's happened? Maybe he's got an injury or maybe he's not trained on. Or possibly... In our position in the league, Brendan Rodgers just doesn't think he's actually up to playing in a, a top four challenge. He knows him better than anyone else because of his time at Celtic. It's all very well him being here and playing for the under-23s for a whole season last year. and then go, oh, Until he went on loan, but as soon as he goes on loan, he's playing first-team football for Celtic. He knows, he knows best. So if he decides to buy a centre-half, to play or to be ahead of Benkovic, even if it's just maybe a loan for six months, 
until the summer, then I'll be completely fine with that because he has seen more of him than anyone else. It does raise a question, though, and it will be a shame, but you never know. They can just kick on look at what happened with Soenchu when he came into the side. Uh, the other problem may be with Madison because he was withdrawn from the England squad after coming off the bench in their game at Wembley, uh, which many people were not too happy that he didn't start. Uh, they thought that maybe he should do, and um, and I... I I've always said, and, and I think you agree, look, whatever happens, happens. It's it's a shame sometimes when they don't, but we won 7-0, come on. Do you know what I mean? That's, and people will shout, oh, he, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing, what's the manager doing, how can Madison not play? It's disappointing, but when you when you score seven goals at home, and when you were farming up or whatever it was, when Madison comes on, you've got to hold your hand up at the end and say, look, you know, we got it right, the manager, and the team that was put out at Wembley, before Madison came on, did the job. I think a few people like to sound off, and then when actually that opinion or what they thought or or their abuse thrown at someone actually doesn't turn out to be completely accurate at all, no one really turns around and says, oh, I got that one wrong. Mm, Never mind. It's good that he came off the bench, but he could be missing for Leicester. Now, what would happen, before we talk about England, what would happen then with Madison? If Madison can't play on Saturday, how does that fit with you in terms of who would replace him? I think the next first team player that is knocking on the door for a start in a central position is Dennis Pratt. So I think we would see Tielemans move forward into a more advanced position and Dennis Pratt's coming in in central midfield. And I have got, obviously Madison's playing very well and in an ideal world, if he's fully fit, he starts for Leicester. I don't I don't think there's any question about that at the moment in terms of the form and confidence that he's got. But I've got no problem whatsoever with Dennis Pratt coming in because I think in the glimpses that we've seen of him in a Leicester shirt, he looks like a very, very accomplished all-round midfielder. It's quite rare that you get somebody who you couldn't really say what his specialism is yet he's good at everything. You know, sometimes you get a specialist, you know, Wilfred and Didi, you wouldn't say that his range of passing is his strongest suit. You know, he's a tackler, he's an interceptor, he's a ball winner. Um, Sort of the opposite, really, for the likes of Tielemans and Madisons. They're ball players, they're creative players. I think Dennis Pratt has got a, a fair amount of everything. So I've got no problem with him coming in. and And I think almost... Sometimes injuries are, or, or illnesses, or it's a tightness in his calf, isn't it, that's been mentioned as well for Madison. Sometimes these are excellent opportunities to get a bit of competitive game time into players that, through no fault of their own, have been restricted to appearances from the bench. And look, Dennis Pratt's made a couple of very, very late cameos. And, and while he'll be happy to do that and bide his time for a, a, sh- a short period of time, it's got to come a point where he thinks I want to be on that pitch, starting. So I, although we do lose a little bit of flair from Madison's absence, should he should he not be available for for Saturday, I think it's a, a positive in the sense that it gives Dennis Pratt, and I would imagine that will be the decision that is made. It gives him a real opportunity to showcase himself and get ninety minutes in a Leicester shirt, and and I for one would would like to see that. Or there is the option of Damari Gray. Damari Gray could come into the side. Whether you would move 
those players around slightly. Gray could maybe play out wide and then Ozzy Perez could then play behind Jamie Vardy in a position that he's probably more suited to. So that would free up maybe Perez in a more ideal position. Gray would then get the start that his performances off the bench really have merited. He's been electric in recent weeks. Pratt played in midweek and at the weekend for Belgium in some way, shape or form off the bench. But they're flying and they won by a million goals to nil against rubbish opposition. But still, he's still involved at the first team level for his country in a very, very good squad as well. He's, I think he's a very good player. His long-range passing is exceptional. If I had to put one thing down, I think it would be his long-range passing just has that kind of, a, in, a, in, a, in a horse racing form, and have like a double tick next to it rather than just ticks down the list of what he's good at because he's got all that. And I think just his long-range passing every now and again, that ball for, Madis, uh, for Chilwell at Crystal Palace when he hit the inside of the post, an amazing pass. Um, I, I, I agree. I think they're the two options, if that's the case. And I think they're the two options also, depending on who's missing as well. So if there's a midfielder or any of those uh, forward uh, players behind Jamie Vardy, that would probably be the case. Apart from maybe, say, Barnes. I think if Barnes was out um, through injury, I think Gray would be the automatic selection there in that place out wide to then run at the defence. I think that that would happen. Uh, with it being Madison, I agree. I think we, we've kind of covered those two aspects. Um, just touching on, on England then, because it was a, a really good performance. Yeah, a lot of people didn't like the fact that Madison didn't start. There you go. He came on, he got his first England cap. You've got to think he's going to be part of the plans going forward in terms of the Euros. But there's a number of players in that position behind Kane in the centre. Mason Mount, for me, he's got, he's got that position. He's played... Uh, instead of Madison, he got the jump on Madison because of uh, him missing out previously with all that whole casino thing. But but also because he was he was missing anyway because he wasn't well. Now maybe if he wasn't ill that day, then he would have had the start in front of Mountain and he would have been in front of him. So it's just the way that things work. Uh, but Ben Chilwell, who is and we've been championing the facts that he's the best left back in England. And his performances for England have been really good. Since he's first started, he's been really solid for England. Yes, I think he's been slightly off for Leicester at the start of the season, but in the last three or four games has been exceptional and has been pretty much the best left-back, you'd say, uh, in the Premier League over the last month or month and a half, say. And, uh, and it showed one area of his game that he's really improved on, his, his his final ball, which has always been lacking, has started really to develop wonderfully, you'd say, in the last six to eight weeks or so. And a lot of the times you can hang a ball towards the back post and it just happens to land at the feet of someone or you hit an area and it, this player gets on the end of it this time and other times the fans might moan because no one got on the end of it when actually it was a really good cross and it's just maybe just started to click. But to assist three goals in the first however many minutes it was, in the first, what, 25 minutes or so, uh, to get a hat-trick of assist straight away was uh, was quite something. And uh, and, and you got to think that he's penned in for that first team in the first game for the Euros. He's just got much more about him than Danny Rose. And the fact that Chilwell started both of the games... Um, when in the past they've if the, if it's been a sort of international double double header then he's just started one and Rose has started the other I think 
speaks volumes. Chilwell made himself undroppable, essentially, after bagging three assists. Yes, it was against Montenegro, but it it's really, really encouraging because when we talked about Chilwell at the beginning of the season, and Barnes to an extent as well, we talked about their age and we said, look, it'll either come over a period of time or one day it'll just seem to click, uh, it being the, the, the final ball, the, the creation of chances, if you like. And Barnes has got loads of assists in the last few weeks. Chilwell gets three in the same game for England, gets himself the, the man of the match trophy as well. And it's just he's just going from strength to strength. You know, from the, the kid that was the backup to Fuchs, who we enjoyed watching in cup games, but always knew that Fuchs was the better choice, to now England first choice left back in a period of what? Two years, maybe two and a half years, is is quite something, and and for him to have come through Leicester's academy uh, is is something I think we can be proud of. Really, we've always been a club that has produced uh, strong academy players, but n- I think now we're in a position where we've produced a strong academy player who is, uh, I completely agree with you, Pete, that has been the best left back in the Premier League over the course of the last month or so. Now is England's first choice left back. And I'm not really worried about him going anywhere else or wanting to go anywhere else. And I think now we've got that final end point for these players to be playing at the top level, still in a Leicester City shirt, is great because with the improved training facilities that are on the way, our academy's only going to get stronger and better. The under-23s have been winning games like there's no tomorrow and progressing against professional teams in the, whatever it's called these days, Johnston's paint EFL checker trade jobby. Um, so they're proving their worth. And, and Chilwell is a shining light for all of the academy players to look at and go, look at the progress he's made at Leicester City. And now he's got that little bit of culture in his left foot and that extra little bit of nous in his brain. He is a very dangerous player because, you know, the the, the style of football that we're playing at the minute with the, the fullbacks being so far forward, now I wouldn't cringe as much when the ball goes out wide to Chilwell, whereas definitely six to eight months ago I would have. And I would have thought there's no point in him being that far forward. Now, we've got danger coming from both sides. And it is a very exciting time to be watching a footballer like Ben Chilwell as as a Leicester fan and an England fan. It's all about confidence. You said confidence in the supporters when he gets the ball, but also his own confidence. And I'm not talking about finding that final ball. I'm thinking when he delivers a cross and it doesn't work out, don't get disheartened. Go and do it again. And assisting for England and for and playing so well for Leicester. And he's never really been a goal scorer at all for Leicester. Getting forward, yes, but in terms of assists and also goal scoring, look at the last few weeks. Scoring, but also hitting the inside of the post. Very unlucky against Crystal Palace. He, he really is developing in front of our eyes still. And, well, by far, is he the best left back in England, my word. I mean, Danny Rose, n- never in a million years. But I think on the other side, I think um, Gareth Southgate's worked out that Arnold's, Alexander Arnold's the best on that side as well. So it, it, it's coming together in England quite nicely. And uh, and yeah, well, there we go. We've got Chilwell 
and hopefully, fingers crossed, Madison. But he's got to do it at international level. Got to be given the chance, and and we'll see what happens. But uh, but that's with England. That's all kind of out the way now. The draws in the next what fortnight or so for the Euros. So it'll be interesting to see who we get. And uh, and there we go. Fingers crossed with that. Now, uh, during this international break, I mentioned about some journalists given being given time to write pieces that maybe have been on the back burner or elsewhere to do with club football and uh, and there was one or two bits and bobs about remembrance with football and and Leicester have been one of the the forefronts of that as we know I think it was back in 2003 uh, that they were the first club to actually put the poppy on on the shirt when they played Blackburn at home and I've always thought that Leicester have done it very well with the uh, with the helicopter nodding toward the stand and dropping the ball off and then holding up these TFOs and all that sort of thing with the uh, with the clappers or with uh, specific sheets on on the seats. And it's just worked out over the last few years that that game, which is nearest to Remembrance Sunday at Leicester, has become uh, a, a TV game, actually. It's been on TV an awful lot. So they have been kind of at the forefront, but there has been one or two pieces kind of criticising not directly Leicester in some articles, but saying that it get, it's getting a bit over the top. And, and I mentioned last time that it's, it's not really... I think they've just held it back, Leicester. I think it's just got to that stage where... I don't think they're going to do any more. They had military vehicles. They always have a parade around the edge of the pitch, or some years they do. But I th- I've always thought Leicester do it really well. And I I think I've got quite a half-decent eye for that sort of thing, about things kind of going over the top and being kind of overblown a bit. I don't, I don't like that. And I, I've never thought that way at Leicester. It's very interesting, actually. That um, I, I, I just so what do you think? Did you see any of these? Uh, I, I, there was a couple of articles specifically that I'll, I'm referring to. One referred to, or just had images of a of a man dressed as a poppy because some of these videos went around social media of some lower league where they they had like a a man dressed as a poppy walking out onto the pitch with the teams and it looked a bit weird. Uh, but there was apparently a chap outside the King Power, but it was to do with the Royal British Legion. It wasn't actually part of something that the club did. It was just part of what the charity were doing. And kids were going up and getting the photos. And I, you think of it, you look at it, and you go, fine, it's not a problem. Or it's not, I didn't think it was kind of weird. It was, yes, it's a, a giant poppy with a man inside. But there you go. If that's what the Royal British Legion wants to do, then I didn't think it was a problem. But did you send you these uh, articles? I haven't no. I I I I enjoy Leicester's um commemoration of, of the event. I think as as you say we always do it very very well um and it it, it kind of goes back to the way that we that we described the way that they dealt with the the um tragedy last year that it, it's done in a dignified way that is effective and quite emotional but also respectful and and never over the top i don't think anything that that's ever been done in that respect is is over the top i did i did see the video of the little of the man in the in the poppy outfit i just thought that looked absolutely ridiculous outside the ground for pictures with kids to sort of introduce them to the 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 symbolism of the poppy and, and what it means great not on a football pitch in front of football fans when you're trying to take things a little bit seriously you know because it, it does need to be done seriously and it does need to be done properly and I, 
I don't think that was the best way about it. No, I don't know where it was. I think it was down somewhere, Tranmere or whatever. But um, I will say, one of the articles, it was on The Athletic. It wasn't actually um, to do with Leicester. It wasn't put on um, via the people associated with the club. But what I will say is that the person who wrote it uh, is a huge Forest fan and took and basically decided to base what Forest did, which the Forest had a, a, a big TFO at the Trent tent. Very good. It had a, loads of links to ex-players and this, that and the other. And it was all really well thought of. And uh, it was in green and, and whatever, because it was the colours of the, um, the regiment and all that sort of thing. It was really well done. When I, when I saw photos, because people I know were, were at their uh, their their game nearest to the um, to the to the day, and I looked at them. I said, oh, that's very good. They've started to do that at uh, at Forest with their their Trent and have Tifos and that. I suppose in the the way that the stand is, it's it, it kind of fits perfectly for that sort of thing. So and, and there you go. Great, well done. But this chap who wrote this article, a huge Forest fan, and he um he did. It did pan off as a kind of look at us, we're amazing, and look at what el- elsewhere it's over the top. But what 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 Forrest did was excellent, which I agree it was. But it was a very it came off really badly. I don't think I think he needed someone to read the article first because as soon as I started reading, I thought, hang on, you're just having a go at at Leicester, and look at how good Forrest are. It really came across that way. So. Um, that was interesting. I don't know whether anyone listens to other um, podcasts out there. Don't really want to yeah, mention who they are. It was the, James Richardson's one. Anyway, um, on to the next uh, point, which is Riyad Mahrez, funny enough. Remember him, Riyad Mahrez. Um, he might prop up in the, might cop up in the uh, what do you call it, team of the decade. You never know. But there was a, and this sort of thing is, is really common during international breaks and that um Mahrez is two lost years and it came out in kind of dribs and drabs in an interview in France and he has basically the lost years which as soon as I saw that I went oh no you know what I mean this is when people are going to go mad they're going to lose their brains over look at Mahrez calling Leicester look at oh no Mar. I don't think he's ever used lost years that sort of term is 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 put on for what people say, but I've 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 read what he's he's had to say exactly, and he's basically said that he had the chance or he wanted to leave Leicester after they won the league and go to Arsenal. He wanted to move on. We always knew, and over the the final year, especially at Leicester, that he wanted to then move and join a a, a bigger club, which he ended up doing with Manchester City. Um, but he he basically said that Leicester were not prepared. For Champions League football, no way. Get out of town. Of course, of course, they weren't. Um, no, the fans weren't prepared. The club wasn't prepared, and it's taken them and really until now to kind of get themselves really sorted as a as a, a top end of the Premier League side. It, have, have you read what he's had to say, or or, or or what do you reckon? Because from from my opinion, I don't think in any way, shape, or form he's turned around and gone Leicester or rubbish. I was just so far beyond what they were doing at the time. Did he want to leave and join a bigger club? Yes, he's he, he's that sort of person. He's always wanted to go to a bigger club. Okay. At the time Arsenal you'd still say, you know, were you would you wouldn't say that really now, possibly. But he, he wanted to go and move on. But that season he played really well in the Champions League. He says that he could have played better and it it was poor performances. But he's saying that now as a Manchester City player and a Champions League regular and and, and multi Premier League winner. I have read it, yeah, and it, it's one of them things where 
it wasn't or it doesn't strike me as being the main topic of conversation. It's not the reason that a reporter has spoken to him to try and drag this out of him. It's kind of come up in conversation. And as you say, it's been um, in the public eye when it's a little bit of a slow news week in terms of the fact that England are playing Montenegro and Kosovo and there's not an awful lot happening Premier League-wise. Everyone's just taking a chill out after the first third of the season, really. Um, When you read his words, do they make sense? Yes. But equally, are they a bit annoying Um, as a a Leicester fan? Yes. He's not having a pop at the club, really. He's not come out and said, Leicester have ruined my career or anything like that. He's stated mainly facts. I I don't like the wording. I I just got it up so I could reference the wording um, exactly. But he said it's not easy to go from being the PFA Players Player of the Year to being part of a team fighting for Premier League survival. It's not the same job. Now, keyword there, job. You're under contract at Leicester City. Your job is to go out there and play football. And then he said straight after, everyone is waiting on you and expects you to perform. Well, yes, because you're the PFA Players Player of the Year. You would expect you would be expected to perform at that level, regardless of what club you're at. Um, and now, and that kind of says to me that Riyad Mahrez, and this is this is obviously. Um, what a lot of people would think anyway, but Riyad Mahrez got Players Player of the Year because he was playing well in a team that was playing well. Yes, it's more difficult to play well in a team that is struggling and was struggling like we were, but we dragged him from anonymity. He was contractually obliged to play football for Leicester City. If he had not gone on a bit of gardening leave, if he had not been such a, at times, player that needed carrying by the other 10 players, let's be perfectly honest, certainly in in sort of transitional and defensive phases, then maybe we wouldn't have been fighting for Premier League survival and maybe we would have been a little bit higher up the leagues. I'm not saying he had a terrible season that season. Far from it. He was still a very good player. But it was. it's not always down to the situation that he's in that that decides whether he plays well or not. And I think that's what's bothered me the most. Yes, we all knew he wanted to go, but as soon as the transfer window shut and he couldn't go, did he show the level of fight and bottle that he should have? I would have said no. And I, and I think in podcasts during that time, we we had similar conversations it's just it's just unnecessary that it's come out now really i know it's part of a conversation that he's had in a in a report about um, about many other things but it 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 kind of taints things a little bit to a degree but i can on the flip side see where he's coming from because part of me thought at the end of the title winning season that it would be sensible for somebody like claudio ranieri to step down I mean, where were we going to go from there? We'd, we'd, and and he should have gone on a high, really, and and not. Uh, although we remember him fondly now, at the time of his dismissal, it was difficult to deal with. Um, so I can see it from that point of view. Uh, uh, with him as an individual, 
he felt that Leicester were where were as high as they were ever going to be and and couldn't see us sustaining that at that period of time and I see that but at the same time to basically say oh look at me I'm PFA players player of the year to go from that to relegation fight isn't really my bag grow some balls mate well possibly I mean another way of looking at it would be an overall look at the club and say, look, I was PFA Player of the Year. I've won the Premier League. and played Champions League football. Look what the club did. They didn't sign the right players. They 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 still had Ranieri in charge, and they 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 could have changed that or or or, or moved in. They could have done some things differently. Uh, apart from what happened on the field with himself, they 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 weren't prepared for Champions League football, and they and they suffered by in the Premier League by going far in Europe and. I think it it could have been done better. That that could have been the angle that he was possibly saying, and and I think again part of a whole long conversation w- without actually slamming the club, it's kind of an easy thing to pick out all oh, the the, the Mares lost years. Look, I you know I wasted my time there, um, as he said that not really, but that's that's what I think he was getting at the fact that the club just weren't prepared and they've got themselves a very good player on their hands who won this award and I wasn't given I mean we don't we don't know what happened behind the scenes maybe he was promised player X, Y, Z yes they got his mate Slimani whether they in fact are mates you never know but uh, yeah it, it, it would be interesting when looking back once everything has settled you know once there's no Morgan and Vardy and Schmeichel it could be another five or six years until possibly the ten-year anniversary of of winning the league, when say all the players who were present at that time, maybe until they're all retired. In fact, uh, I know one or two. You may be talking a long, long time, but, but may not say X and Y. But some of the established players, once they've all kind of retired, then they might actually turn you know, turn around and say, "What happened? What was the reason really that Ranieri left? What what happened behind the scenes?" How did it fall apart? Did it just fall apart because they were just on this massive run the year before, and then they just kind of naturally got back to where roughly they they maybe were in the league? Who knows? Um, and I think that would be a very interesting conversation. That would be very very interesting, and also it might be more revealing than a snippet from a, a larger interview about his career and about where he's going now. I think that that would be the where the really where where the truth comes out, uh, it'd be uh, one or two things said by the likes of Robert Huth since he's um, been retired. Very interesting as well, and I think he'll be one who will be uh, not backward in coming forward with with what's what. And I think uh, one or two others might be as well. So so that that's all to look forward to because it'll be very interesting. Hopefully, it's not all really bad and just comes out in snippets and they and it starts a bit of arguing. It, it normally happens with. A, a successful side like that you know there's always one or two that maybe say something oh, it'd be nice to hear them all maybe together and and have a, a, a huge kind of couple of hours talking about a, a certain period of time including what kind of went wrong as well I'm sure everyone will be really interested in that as well as the fantasy football league as well before we go on to the fantasy football league though Rob anything else to do with Mares to do with England, to do with Leicester, the games that they've played recently. Uh, Jose, Jose Mourinho, what's <laughs> what's that all about? I mean, I know 
they've, they've not really played well at all this year. But it's another case of sacking a manager because of a team's poor performance. It's I I can't get my head around why you would have a manager who does as well as Pochettino's done at Spurs to guide them through a period of time when they didn't play at their home ground for a year and a half to not signing a player for the best part of a year or more, however long it was, to get them so close to winning the Champions League and to do well in the Premier League. So to basically fund, through Champions League qualifications, year on, year out, fund the new stadium, or part of it at least, and and to they must be still in clover in terms of money. I know they've built, built this ground, but that'll be paid over a long period of time, surely. And then when the players start to resent basically how he likes to play to to resent um the pressing tactics and and to resent almost in training they they were saying they were didn't really want to look at him during the training they were scared to lock eyes to be a chairman to turn around and go do you know what i'm going to spend 12 and a half million pounds on sacking him so sacking this guy instead of giving him the opportunity in the finance to rejig aside and build again in this new ground to actually turn around and go no what we're going to do we're going to spend 12 and a half million quid on sacking him and then we're going to employ Jose Mourinho <laughs> is, is it me or is that completely insane it is very bizarre because it is a club as you say that that has it is I think it's been statistically shown as as the most profitable club in at this kind of level of football um, to not capitalise on the work that Pochettino did and was doing with suitable investment in playing staff to maintain that is, is absolutely baffling. And to then think that the way out of it, and and when if you look at the, the statement that Daniel Levy released, it's a very short-sighted footballing statement in saying that the results, domestic results towards the end of last season and the beginning of this have not been what has been expected. To to take such a short-sighted footballing view and a, a dodgy business view like that to then bring in a manager that is very much used to football clubs paying whatever they need to pay to get whichever player he wants. Mourinho will not come cheap. Paying off Pochettino is going to cost way above the twelve million that I think has been estimated, according to other reports. So financially, it doesn't make sense from a footballing point of view. It's very short-sighted, although the managerial merry-go-round is is what it is. Um, and I can't really see how Jose Mourinho is going to get any more out of that Tottenham team than Maurizio Pochettino, who took them to the Champions League final, could. No idea. It's absolutely baffling. And it's it's got sort of... Um, uh, looks a lot of similarities to um, when Paolo Sosa came in at Leicester when Nigel Pearson was still in charge and he was watching from the stands and then, miraculously, he was our next manager. You know, to sack... Pochettino, it's such a strange time of the international break. And then Mourinho to be announced at what was essentially about 6am this morning and for him to already be there in his Spurs tracksuit delivering training. It's all very contrived and it's 
it doesn't make sense on any level for me. Yeah, I, I don't understand. In a link back to what we're talking about with Mares, if you look at someone like Christine Eriksen, who's been a great player for Spurs, top class, top class player, but he is essentially down tools. He really has, and Mares might have flitted in and out of form and threw his toys out the pram, and he had that kind of walkabout for a, for a week or so. But I would turn around and say, if let's just say Christian Eriksen leaves Spurs at the end of this season and his form doesn't improve, then I would say the way he's left is a lot worse than what Mares has, has perceived to have Silas said, or we even know he had that kind of down tools for for that week or so because Eriksen's just been absolutely shocking and a passenger and there's and there's two or three players in that squad who want to leave on a on a free they want to run down their contracts and if they're thinking that there's a problem with the squad and and their attitude in the squad I mean funny from afar my a big arrow for me would be pointing at the three players I think Alderweireld I think uh, Rose and and also Eriksen the players who are running down the contract they're going to be the one who join training thinking you know Look at this! I can't be can't be bothered now, or or whatever you know that they're going to be the ones. So if they're going to spend the money, how about shipping them out on a, on a free come Christmas and and then giving some money to to them rejig the squad? I I think it's ever so weird for a manager like him to to be sent on his way, and then to get Mourinho as much as anyone you know. I'm not a fan of Mourinho at all. He would need to be completely different for me in that in that job. He would need to. He said all the right things, but nah, the guy's just so down in the mouth, and nah, not at all. It's it's weird. I mean, who cares? <laughs> From our position at Leicester, you could look at it in a couple of ways. You could think, well, can Mourinho get a get an instant boost of the side and push up, and they could be the nearest challengers for us being a top four side, or we could watch. Spurs implode from afar and go right, rub our hands together and go. You know, that's another team that would be challenging for a top four, falling by the wayside. So we will see. But just in an overall footballing sense, it's a very interesting story. It's completely blown out of all portions on Sky Sports. Have gone mad. I've just well, it's been on in the corner whilst recording the episode, an hour special on on him. Oh my god, couldn't think of anything worse. But anyway, good job the sand was down. On to the. For Fox Sake podcast, and of course we've had a week off this fancy football table. Okay, we'll do the top ten. Okay, up into the top ten in tenth place for seventy-five points last week, seven hundred and thirteen overall. It's blue and white cop Keith Aubrey. Up into ninth, it's Luke Taylor with Leicester City, uh, 714 points. Uh, up into eighth place, it's FC Vladovic Barbers, Steve Curtin, 722 points. Down into seventh, uh, the Vardy Party, Jonathan Towers, 728 points. Up into sixth, 733 points, is Gav Brown and his Saigon Foxes, and the top five remain as they are. 735 points, Joe Healy with the Vardy Annuals, fourth place, 759, it's you, Rob, with Fox Sake. Then in top three, we've got 779 points, so a bit of a gap developing now. Matthew Archer, Pedro City, in second place, 779 points, so 20 points split in third and second. It's Daniel McCready with Rogers, the cabin boy. And then in uh, first place, 
with 808 points. Uh, video killed the Sadio Alex Ekonomu. So well done to those in the top 10. Uh, not the greatest week for myself. Super Frank Sinclair is down in 29th place, uh, 669 points. So it's still very tight to get into... Uh, how many points am I off? It's 13 points. Uh, what's that? 31. 44 points off the top 10. So uh, we'll see. And there's plenty of time, obviously. We'll see what spot. Didn't have the greatest week in the world. I tried to get Vardy in the side, but I couldn't get him. And I took a risk on Harry Kane. I suppose I could have made that sub, but it would have cost me points. And they, they had Sheffield United. So I thought, okay, I'll give him, give him a go as captain. It didn't quite work out. But uh, there we go. Never mind. And uh, we fight again this Saturday. Go on and gloat. I'm not going to gloat. I've stayed in fourth place with a very average week. You know, I scored the lowest, I think, in the top 10. So I feel very fortunate. So I'm staying humble this week that I am just about clinging on to a Champions yeah, League. Yeah, you do place. have a number of triangles next to a few players, by the way. I'll just give you a heads up. Um... Uh, you know what? I've been getting very close to forgetting the last couple of weeks. So as soon as we come off recording this podcast, I'm going to do it there and then so I don't forget. It's fresh in my mind. I'm going to go and make some alterations. Yeah, I'm just looking at mine. But uh, but there we go. That's uh, that's the dream team. Just check where my sister is just to make sure. Can't see. Oh, she's below. But there we go. That's better. All is good in the world. Three points there. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for For Fox Sake. Now, this Saturday, Brighton away, what's the prediction then, Rob? I'm going to go... No, you go first. You go uh, You go first. What do you reckon? What's the uh, What's the Rob Hayes for Fox sake, fourth in the league, 759 points prediction is? It depends on which Brighton team decides to turn up, to be perfectly honest with you. They've, some weeks they've looked really good. Other weeks they've looked absolutely terrible. I... I'm going to back us to win because I think the form that we're in at the moment um, and the confidence that we've got, I don't think it would be wise to predict anything other than a win. Uh, I can imagine this one being quite close. I think Brighton will be up for it. And, you know, he's still getting to know his team really, isn't he? He's not been there an awfully long time, Graham Potter. So 2-1 Leicester I'm going to go for. Uh, I was going to go 2-1 and I was going to say pretty much exactly the same as what you've said. I think it's going to be close. I can see, i tell you what, I'm going to go for... Um, I think Iosi Perez will, will get on the score sheet and maybe maybe a Damari Gray goal as well. Maybe come off the bench to win and maybe to further push his claims for a starting role. And that could be the topic of conversation next week on for fuck's sake. That's the that's the prediction. So both going for two one. There we go. First goal for me, Perez. That's uh, that's what I reckon. Anyway, what do you reckon? Get in contact. Many people have been over the last few weeks on the old Twitter at FFS Pod is how to get in contact using Twitter. On Facebook, just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and you'll find us on there. Just click like, not a problem. And if you want to send an email with absolutely anything, any ideas, we mentioned at the start of the show, Team of the Decade, and we'll put them out as two parts over the next few weeks. Uh, any ideas to do with that? There's another one I've been thinking of, which we'll probably, we would probably do next year. But uh, we'll just hold fire on any details regarding that. But any ideas, then do send them through. You can do on uh, email for fox8podcast at gmail.com. 
is how to get in contact. And again, you, you know, we're not going to read them out if you don't want on on air. Any ideas, we won't bother reading out. We'll just either do them or reply to you and and see what's what. But that's what's coming up soon on for Fox 8. We'll be back hopefully next week 